Hello, and welcome to another very special episode of Let Me Explain You a Thing. My name is Andrew, and this is the show where I uh, talk extemporaneously about a subject I know a little bit about. And today, we're going to be wrapping up our discussion, hopefully, well, maybe not, I haven't timed this one out. Uh, We're going to continue, let's say, uh, my explanation of the story of the Brothers War. This is uh, all story taken from the Brothers War novel, uh, written by Jeff Grubb, published by Wizards in 1998, uh, to coincide with the release of Urza's Saga. Um, I haven't really mentioned this, but so the there are a number of sets that kind of get into the story of Urza, like who he was before he was a planeswalker. Antiquities is the obvious first one. Uh, that came out in like March 94. Uh, it was the second ever magic expansion. Um, well, so you had the alpha beta release, I think maybe Unlimited and Revised were like part of that too. I don't really know the timeline on that. And then, you know, the first Magic expansion is traditionally understood as Arabian Nights, which Richard Garfield slapped together in, like, a day. (laughs) Um, You know, like, I I think put together on a very short time scale because uh, Wizards of the Coast was clamoring for more content, more, you know, another set to release. Um, And so he, you know, for lack of... uh, having the the kind of world-building resources, uh, just decided, okay, we're basing this off of 1001 Arabian Nights. Uh, I have some, you know, translation of the 1001 Arabian Nights that I'm going to just, like, slap, you know, uh, paragraphs and passages from onto a bunch of cards as flavor text. It'll be great. It's also a pretty small expansion. It's like, you know, by today's standards, even the standards of the time, it's like 90... 93 cards, I want to say. How do I know that? Um, okay, so, yeah, you have Arabian Nights, and that's, as a, as a sidebar, and I think we'll see this a little bit in Brothers War too. uh, what with the Falaji and everything. Not like it isn't always unproblematic, (laughs) I'll say, but it is very interesting how in the early, you know, this early to mid-90s new fantasy trading card game, uh, the flavor much of the flavor is, is derived from, uh, like, you know, what we, what we, you hear referred to as the MENA region of the world, the, you know, Middle East, North Africa. Um, you see that with Arabian Nights, uh, you see that with the Falaji and the fact that this, you know, the archaeology, archaeology of antiquities is taking place in, you know, a desert that is, fairly strongly based off of, you know, great desert cultures of our own world. Um, and, you know, beyond that as well, you've got, uh, uh, you know, like Mirage, the Mirage block, uh, you know, is, is very, which was, you know, the first full block, although the third set kind of, you know, pulled a 180 a little bit. Um, but Mirage, 
was strongly based off of, you know, African folklore and, um, you know, including North African. I think, I want to say Femoreth is maybe Sakata. I, I don't really recall. I wasn't playing then, but I, I think those are fairly recognizably, like, North African, um, you know, people groups. Um, I, you know, anyway, it's just kind of a, a thing that I've noticed, and it's interesting. It's pretty cool that, um, you know, this, at the time, indie trading card game based on fantasy you know, lore and tropes, like, would go that route, and, um, really, you know, like, kind of build a world based on that tradition, rather than, you know, the more fantasy, like, you know, more traditional Western high fantasy tropes. I mean, they would do that too, but the fact that they, they made these pushes so early on in that other direction is pretty neat. Anyway, so continuing to the Brothers' War. Um, yeah, so stories kind of laid out in Antiquities, uh, but only kind of in a vague, retrospective, hazy, mists of history kind of way. Um, you also have... Uh, let's see if I can get over. You also have um, uh, the Ursa's Saga block, which kind of interrupts the story of the Weatherlight that's that's been ongoing. Um, you know, that third set of the Mirage block I mentioned, Weatherlight, and then you've got Tempest block, which is the Weatherlight's adventures in uh, the artificial plane of Wrath. Um, trying to, to save their kidnapped comrades and um, learn some more about the Phyrexian, you know, learn about the Phyrexian invasion plans for Dominaria. And then, you know, Urza's saga block kind of interrupts all that and is like, okay, <laughs> you're probably wondering, you're probably wondering how we got here. Um, record scratch. And, you know, it jumps right into Urza's early life, and what a lot of people don't know, uh, it's kind of, you know, a, a, a football of sorts among fans, uh, you know, trivia buffs, that the block was designed to be very enchantment-based, that they knew even then that auras carried a pretty, then called enchant creatures, carried a pretty significant penalty, in that if you get rid of the creature... Um, or if you get rid of the creature in response to the aura, even, um, then your opponent is down two cards for your one removal spell, and that is a pretty significant disadvantage. Um, so they, they were trying to, like, come up with ways to counterbalance that. You know, Rancor is probably the most famous example. There was a cycle of auras that, you know, when the creature they're on dies, uh, you get it back to your hand. Um, so, uh, anyway, they, the design 
meant this to be an Enchantment Matters block, but because of, because of, like, a couple significant, because of a couple significant, um, Artifact Matters cards, like Tolarian Academy, um, and certain others, um, Because of certain cards that would become banned, um, and because the story is about Urza, the, the story cycle was known as the artifact cycle. Um, you know, people remember this more as an artifact themed block for some reason, but the, the other interesting piece of trivia is that each color told a different leg of Urza's journey, of the story of Urza's journey. Um, and I believe that carries through each block, or each set of the block, I wanna say. I'm not 100% sure, but at the very least in Urza's Saga. So I forget what red is. Um, white is Urza's, after he leaves Phyrek. Okay, let me try to tell this in order. Um, blue is him setting up the Telerian Academy. Young Teferi makes a cameo. Um, this is his introduction, as well as Karn's. Karn was created at this time by Urza in, you know, the Tolerian Academy. Um, uh, oh god, I gotta get on with the story, don't I? Um, Black was Urza's time in Phyrexia. White is his convalescence in Sarah's realm afterwards. Uh, but Green jumps way back and uh, and gets into, um, Argoth, which is a setting of the Brothers' War that we'll get into more today. Um, so that, that kind of tells some of the story, and the Brothers' War set tells another part of the story. Um, so, at any rate, uh, this is, this is the story of Urza, um, and the Brothers' War is pretty continuous. It, it tells from, you know, uh, like Urza and Mishra's youth up until them aged, uh, like, 60-something. I think 64. Something like around there. Anyway, so at this point, I think I've gotten up to trying to remember where I left off yesterday. I got up to Urza and Mishra, um, kind of developing, developing their skills, uh, getting in good with like uh, the you know various authorities of the lands they find themselves in. Urza becoming prince consort and chief artificer of Krug, uh, Mishra becoming, I forget the word for the second in command, but like the, um, you know, a chief advisor to uh, the Kadir 
eventually becoming the Kadir in uh, in all but name in in name I, I forget. But yeah, basically becoming the leader of the Sawardi and bringing other <clears throat> bringing along other Falaji tribes under his command. Um, and then they have that disastrous peace meeting. Right, I think I left off with uh, Urza and Thanos and I think Ashnod catching, but, you know, most importantly, Urza catching Mishra abed with Kayla. Um, and of course that, you know, things get chilly. Uh, Mishra and his retinue are, you know, sent away from the city, uh, from Krug. The peace talks end on a stormy, calamitous note. Um, and in the weeks that follow, uh, Urza, Urza is furious. He, you know, his and Kayla's relationship is at its absolute low. Um, and in the meantime, Kayla, uh, Kayla is pregnant. Um, and it's, you know, it's not 100% clear who the father is. Um, you know, I think there's because you might suspect, like, oh, had Urza and Kayla really had much of a much of a sex life uh, up until this point? And I think it's implied that, like, yeah, maybe they did. Maybe they had some good and bad times. So it's possible. But it also kind of lines up with, like, the week that Mishra was in town. So, you know, who knows? It's just not clear, and it's purposefully so. Um, she ends up having... Uh, giving birth to a son that they name Harbin. Um, as Harbin grows a little bit older, he starts to look more like Urza, but Urza grouses that Harbin looks like his father, um, which could mean, you know, those, those could be like genes from Urza or from Mishra. It's, you know, just not clear. Nobody's ever going to know. Um, anyway, so Mishra uh, leads some dragon engines against Krug. Uh, you know, there's there's some military actions undertaken on both sides. Mishra ends up bringing his dragon engines, plural, uh, to Krug, and they lay waste to the city. And um, Urza is away with his ornithopter, uh, patrols, um, he's, he escapes, Kayla and, uh, maybe this is the thing, so, Ashnod, so, Ashnod is, is captive in the city at this point. Um, she and Thanos and Kayla escape. And I can't remember if Kayla, if 
Kayla's given birth to Harbin at this point, or if she's still, like, super pregnant. I don't know. Um, but they all escape. Uh, and they manage to get away. And Thanos and Kayla, part ways from Ashnod, uh, our, our heroes spend some time, like, three years kind of, you know, like, running and hiding and scraping in existence. Um, and eventually they, you know, find where Urza has set up shop, uh, since the fall of Krug, and he has this, this tower that's a new manufacturing plant for his constructs. He's developed this, this living clay, uh, that he, uh, has attached to his automated, uh, soldiers that he calls the ocean soldiers. And the clay enables them to... It basically gives them artificial intelligence. I mean, that this is kind of another aspect of the Power Stones. Like, they animate things in a way, like, that goes beyond just enabling them to move or be controlled. Like, they can, they have some self-control under the, the Power Stones influence. Um, Urza develops these Yoshin soldiers, and the clay also enables them to heal somewhat from, uh, battlefield damage. Um, Batanos, uh, has some, some warriors of his own that he's developed to protect them. Um, so they, you know, they, they meet back up with Urza. Uh, Urza calls in Tanos first, not his wife, um, or a young son. And, uh, you know, they talk. Urza is clearly, like, trying to kick the can down the road a little bit. Um, and Tanos is acutely aware of this. Uh, Thanos convinces Ursa that um, that he needs to to meet Kayla, and so they they have a reunion. Um, it's it's kind of bittersweet. It's you know it's a little you know things aren't great still because you know of course Ursa escaped spent these three years, like, developing constructs, and Kayla and Thanos were just kind of on the run the whole time, in a very vulnerable situations. Um, yeah, and Urza meets little Harbin. That's right, so Kayla had not given birth to Harbin by the time, um, Krug fell. But yeah, so... So Urza, um, meets Harbin for the first time, and, you know, pretty much decides that he doesn't care who's, who Harbin's father is, um, that he is, uh, Harbin is as good as Urza's son, um, and he will raise him as his son and care for him as his son. And, you know, in the meantime, there's still the very real possibility that he is literally Urza's son. So, 
that's all kind of patched up for the moment. Um, what, what next? So, at this point, we move into, like, the middle decades of the war, um, between the Falaji and, uh, the Yoshins, and Argive and Corliss are pulled into the war as well. Over time, um, Urza, Kayla, Harbin, and Thanos relocate to, uh, Penrigon, which is the capital city of Argive. Uh, Argive annexes, uh, Corliss, um, by mutual consent from the Corlesians. Um, they, they manage to take over much of the lands previously part of the Warlord's Yoshin Empire. And, uh, this is made a little bit easier by the fact that, uh, the Falaji Empire under, uh, now under, uh, Mishra's control has never really controlled, has never really ruled non-Falaji peoples, and so that's kind of a new and weird thing for them, and it's presents its own challenges, so Urza manages to peel a little bit of, uh, peel some of Urza, or, uh, Yosha away from Mishra's control. Um, Harbin grows. As a teenager, he, uh, expresses interest in joining the, the Ornithopter Corps, uh, which he does with some pushback from his parents. They do their best to keep him safe while he's, uh, flying with Opter. Um, but there's only, only so much that can be done. And, uh, gotta get gas. Uh, what else? So... develops these transmogrants, she calls them, and her, it basically has elevated her understanding of the human body and artifice to a point where she's able to, she's able to kind of raise dead bodies with technology, kind of in a Frankenstein sort of way, and she's able to, like, control them, um, in a necromantic manner, and because of that, uh, she, she gets into some battles with Urza and Thanos' forces. Um, there's kind of this interesting interplay of, like, kind of like, you know, you're, you're two planeswalkers, two players playing a magic game and updating your decks after every, every battle. Um, like, the, Urza and Thanos and Mishra and Ashnod each are, like, kind of tuning and perfecting their forces, their constructs and whatnot, um, after each encounter, um, after each loss. So it's just this, this kind of game of one-upsmanship that's played out, you know, that comes at great cost of, uh, of 
you know, these constructs and human lives as well. Um, to create these constructs, of course, they're, they're like strip mining the continent of Tarisier. They're hacking down forests. They're denuding the land of its resources to be able to build these, these monstrosities. And then another dynamic that, that gets inserted into the mix here is the Brotherhood of Gigs. So at some point, Mishra and Ashnod inadvertently open a portal at Corliss um, and let Gigs, the uh, Phyrexian Praetor, through from, because that portal leads to Phyrexian. This dates back to, I think I mentioned in part one, but this dates back to uh, Yagmoth, uh, like around 5,000 years prior, um, being able to, well, not a planeswalker, being able to transport himself back and forth uh, between Phyrexia and Dominaria um, through this portal. So Gix comes through and starts raising, um, uh, you know, converting people to his banner, um, and he establishes the Brotherhood of Gigs. And the Gigsians, uh, Gigs kind of remains this shadowy puppeteer. Nobody really sees him outside the Brotherhood. Um, he is also able to, like, tap into people's minds and, like, see their memories and learn what they know and things like that. Um, so Gix uses that to kind of kind of get up to speed with, like, the political situation. Um, many of the Gixians, like, voluntarily grant him their minds, uh, in order to do this. Many of the Gixians that, as the order grows, like, start replacing parts of their bodies with, uh, uh, metal and, you know, cybernetic enhancements, so they see them, um, and the Gixians kind of begin to infiltrate both Urza and Mishra's camps. Uh, but neither brother is really aware that the Gixians are, are also kind of playing the other side. Um, the Gixians, so at one point, Ashnod captures Thanos. And she learns some things that Thanos knows under some kind of mild torture. Um, but she, you know, I think she's, uh, a little sentimental, doesn't want to kill Tonos outright. Um, she, uh, you know, feels comfortable that the, the Falaji guards watching them don't know Argivian. Um, so she and Tonos speak for a time, and she gives Tonos uh, her her earrings and some wire to enable his escape. Uh, she had done this before herself. Um, I think this is how she got out of Krug, uh, after, you know, Mishra and Kayla were found together. Um, Ashnod escapes by, uh, using these power stones and some wire sewn into her dress to, uh, sicken some of the guards, um, that are giving, or not, are the Yoshin guards, and weaken them, 
so she has, I don't, I don't know if it's ever really explained how or why, but she has some powers sort of akin to uh, the weak stone um, through a staff of hers bearing a dolphin skull, which is kind of interesting. Um, anyway, so she, she sneaks Thanos the keys, this, this uh, mechanism to escape. He successfully escapes. Uh, Mishra calls her into his office, and the Gixians are there, just, you know, making it clear that Mishra has... At this point, Mishra is not, like, well physically. He's, like, uh, kind of become sort of sick himself. Um, he... The Gixians have found... Uh, Ashnot's power stone earrings in the drain of the cell where Thanos stashed them after making his escape, uh, escape from the shackles. And, you know, they kind of, like, Ashnot plays dumb for a while, but they know the game. Uh, and anyway, so Mishra is like, alright, you're banished. Uh, pack up your stuff. But she doesn't even do that because she knows the Gixians will be waiting for her. And Mishra won't care if they, like, uh, try to, try to kill her. Um, so she just escapes. Uh, she becomes sort of a, a warlord, um, in the north, uh, beyond the Swarty marches for a time. Um, oh, I guess also going on during this. So you've got, you've got these these scholars who come together, some from the College of Latnam, which is uh, an island off the west coast of Tarissia. It's pretty remote from these struggles. Um, you've got Drafna and Herkel, and uh, the sage Felden, who finds mysterious technology trapped in a glacier in the far north. And then you've got Lauren, who is an Argivian noblewoman uh, you may remember she was uh, one of Takesha's students at the dig site, and she knew Ursa and Mishra personally. Um, so Lauren... Lauren and Felden and Drafna and Herkel kind of come together, and they're like, this is bad what's going on. Um, and they, they decide to form kind of a political, intellectual pact that they call the Third Way. And this is, you know, as an alternative to, it's not to be a centrist Democrat. Um, the Third Way is just the alternative to, to taking a side with either of the brothers, basically. Um, so they, they have, uh, in the city, in Teresia City, they have these ivory towers where they, you know, study and, uh, some of the, some of these, uh, and the, there's the Archimandrite, which is, I believe, a, like, sage, some kind of, uh, mystic woman, and she's also part of the pact, uh, so, Lauren and Felden and uh, Drafna are all artificers by training. 
Herkel and uh, the Archimandrite, I believe, are wizards of a sort. They're magic practi practitioners, but what's also really fascinating is at this time in history in Tarisir, magic, like nobody believes in magic. Um, it's not understood. It's barely anybody like is able to really practice it. Um, and like the Archimandrite and Herkel are only able to really practice magic in kind of small, subtle ways. So, so basically, um, you know, Let's see. Um, skipping, a for skipping ahead a little bit. So, Teresia City comes under siege by Mishra's forces. Um, uh, I forget who finds it. Maybe Felden? I, I don't know exactly. Or don't recall. But, like, the third way has this device that they believe to be magical rather than artifice. It's called the Golgothian Silex. And nobody really knows where Golgoth was or what it is. Um, and it's this basically this copper bowl covered with runes. And yeah, so it's you know it's unclear like what what is really going on here. Um, Uh, or what it could be used for, but they, after some study of the Sumifan uh, uh, song magics, they are able to translate the runes on the bowl, and they learn that it, the claim that the, the, the Silex makes is that if you fill it with memories of the land, you can bring great destruction and start again. Um, obviously, they're kind of freaked out about that idea. <laughs> That's seems kind of pretty nuclear, right? Um, but word gets to Mishra that they have this device, and he pursues it. Um, I believe it's kind of the situation. Either that, or he's just trying to conquer Teresia City, I'm not sure. Um, add it to his empire. But anyway, so they have this, this Silex, and... So, um, the fighting goes badly. The, some of the ivory towers fall. Uh, Herkel is killed in one of the attacks. Um, but not before she's able to, uh, call upon all her magics. And she's able to basically just blink a bunch of Mishra's war engines out of existence. Um, which is 
magic hitherto unseen, you know, at least in living memory, um, in Teresier. So, uh, but then she is inevitably killed by the advancing forces. Um, Felden and Lauren, Drafnir kind of stays behind in, in self-sacrifice along with the Archimandrite. But Feldon and Lauren are able to, um, they're able to escape through some of the, the hidden tunnels beneath the city, beneath the ivory towers, and they get to... Yeah, they take the Silex with them. Or maybe Lauren escapes alone. Felden goes a different way. Lauren has the Silex. She ends up, I believe, at the shores of the Ronum Lake. And she, you know, cut to sometime later. And she thinks she's dying. Um, she's been hit by... Uh, the, the group that she's with has been attacked. I think she's, like, hit by a rock or something. And she's think she's dying. She doesn't at this point. Um, she actually survives to the end, uh, which is, she's like maybe the best character in this story, <laughs> which is good. Um, so good for her, but, um, yeah, so Lauren has the Silex and she is dying, supposedly. Uh, and then she finds that the people who attacked her standing over her is Ashnod. She doesn't know it at the time, who Ashnod is. Um, but Ashnod takes the Silex into her keeping. Um, and... Uh, so cut away from Lauren for a while. Um, Ashnod takes the Silex back to Mishra and uh, presents it to, to him... Uh, as a gift, he's like, I thought I banished you, and she's like, yeah, but I brought you this cool thing, you might want it. Uh, he thinks it's, he thinks magic is, like, poppycock. Fucking poppycock. Um, and that's the only explanation, because this isn't a device, it's literally just a copper bowl. Um, so yeah, uh, he, he takes it and kind of, like, snarls at Ashnod to, like, fuck off. I don't know. I think, I think he's okay with her at this point. Yeah, I believe their things are cool, but... Yeah, I think things are cool between them, but... Um... He, he still doesn't really trust her. He's become very untrusting of everyone but the Brotherhood of Gigs. And 
Um, Lauren, however, had, or not Lauren, Ashnod, however, had tricked him. Uh, he, she had, you know, during her sabbatical, uh, learned the art of coppersmithing, evidently, and she created an exact replica of the Silex that she gave to Mishra. She has the original one, um, in her keeping now. So, um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess this is going to go into a part three. Um, yep, I'm at 40 minutes, and we still haven't gotten to Argoth yet, so too much more to tell, uh, but we will wrap this up next time. Thank you all for listening. Um, I'm trying to work on my delivery a little bit, make things a little bit more smoother, pause less. Uh, that is a constant goal of mine, so thank you as you, uh, hear me improve. Um, hoping to make a better show for you all, all the time. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. Um, whatever time it is when you, you're listening to this, have a wonderful night if you're falling asleep to this. And, uh, yeah, catch you next time.